Faulkner scarf, but normally it's a tippet rather than a cashmere scarf, so it's a little bit different today. Now, I wonder who among us has uh, been up Snowdon. Snowdon is uh, a few hands going up, a few hands. Um, Snowdon is one of my favourite mountains to climb. I've been up it about three or four times, um, and it's always worth another trip up. Uh, Always a wonderful view from the top when there's good weather. Uh, and uh, good company. Oh, it's quite pretty, pretty busy mountain. You're never in danger of being uh, left on the mountainside. There's always other parties going up, people watching out for you, which is quite nice. Now, you might know at the top of Snowdon, there's a railway that goes up. And rather than actually haul yourself up most of the way, if you want to, feeling a bit lazy, you can just jump on a train and take uh, most of the journey up and just do the final little tiny bit of ascent on foot. Well, that's a little bit like what we've done with the Sermon on the Mount. We've uh, jumped into Matthew 6, and we're just doing the final ascent. This whole sermon is a little bit like a mountain. It's uh, structured in a a parallel fashion, uh, where we head up the mountain in chapter 5, and uh, in chapter 6, we reach the summit before heading down again after the Lord's Prayer, and then all the way down in uh, chapter 7. At the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer, which Jesus is about to give in what I think we'll be reading next week, in next week's passage, um, which comes just after in chapter 6. And, of course, there's wonderful imagery there to... He's giving this Sermon on the Mount, and at the apex, at the top of the mountain of his sermon, is his uh, instruction on how to interact with God, uh, on how to be in his presence on the mountain, as it were. Now, last week, we heard a little bit as we made this final ascent up the mountain from Tom on private prayer. This week, we're going to be thinking a little bit about confident prayer, confident prayer. Last week, the problem was the Pharisees who loved status. Their hearts were in the wrong place. They wanted to be seen to be righteous and religious by all the people around them. That was the the problem. This week's problem is more one of the pagans, and it's more of their minds that are wrong. They think that God is distant, that God is uncaring. We've gone from a problem of the heart to a problem of the mind. We've gone from a problem of uh, heterodoxy, that is, to a problem of a problem of heteropraxy to heterodoxy. Well, this morning, uh, earlier on at the 9.30 service, we had a little illustration of this with uh, Josh going off to the end of the church and uh, he had a five-pound note in his hand. I told the whole 9.30 congregation, think of the best reason you have uh, for want for having that five-pound note, and then shout it out. And Josh was up there. He couldn't hear anybody. They were all coming up with empty phrases, uh, repetitious phrases, as to why they ought to have the five-pound note. Of course, that was the problem of the pagans who Jesus was preaching against in this past the Sermon on the Mount. They thought that God was distant, couldn't hear them, that the way they accessed what God had to give them was by heaping up empty phrases, calling out more and more loudly, a little bit like those priests of Baal that we heard about so vividly in that first reading. Of course, uh, Josh didn't actually hear anybody this morning, so he didn't get the five-pound note to anybody. It was suggested I should give it to charity instead, which I probably will do. But the wonderful news is that God knows already, unlike uh, Josh, who was in our illustration earlier on today, God knows exactly what our petitions are. We don't need to heap up empty phrases for him. Unlike those uh, pagan priests of Baal shouting out to their gods to try and wake him up, the real God, as was shown in that particular reading, knows exactly what is needed. He knows exactly what we're thinking and what we're saying. We don't need to heap up 
empty phrases. The purpose of prayer is not to get his attention, but simply to say what we want. We know from also in the Old Testament that God's eyes are always towards his temple, where he has set his name. And for us in the church age, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, where he has set his name, who call ourselves Christians. And therefore, his eyes are always towards us. We don't need to cry out many phrases, to heap up many empty phrases. But we simply know that he hears us, that he knows us, and we say what we want simply to a father. Why do we say that? If God already knows perfectly what we want, what's the point in praying, though? Of course, there is relationship that comes out of us. God loves to interact with us. He might know what we want, but he still wants to hear from us. It'd be disappointing if those of us with pets, and I've been looking after a a small dog this week, although we know that they need a walk and we know that they need food, nonetheless, never heard that from them if they're completely disinterested, if they just uh, took what was given without ever actually showing any desire or interest for that. Instead, because they do show some interest and desire for it, there's a bit of relationship there, there's a bit of interaction. And that's, I suppose, a small picture, a slightly mundane picture, I'll admit, of what we have with God. Also, prayer aligns our wills with God's will as we pray for what is on his heart, what his desires are. But perhaps more than both of those, we pray because prayer is effective. God might know what we want, but God might not act unless we actually go ahead and ask him for it. My friend might need cash. I might know that my friend needs cash uh, if he's in a dire straits. But unless he actually asks for it, I might not actually give it to him. Likewise, unless we actually ask God for good gifts... He may not actually bestow those good gifts. So how much more ought we simply to ask, knowing that he knows our needs? That's, of course, uh, what Moses did uh, when he came down from the mountain and he found the Israelites having built the golden calf. He asked God to relent from his anger. God knew that the people needed him to relent from his anger. He knew their need. But until Moses actually asked, until Moses intervened, he didn't do so. Jesus himself says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. We can't expect to be given, to find, and for the door to be opened unless we ask and seek and knock. And we can do all those things confidently, knowing that God knows our needs. Now, I was taught uh, to pray confidently uh, at camp, uh, summer camp, Uh, with a wonderful little formula, which is a little bit trite, uh, but you can try it on. It's ABC, and I've always remembered it, which is to pray audibly, A, briefly, B, and confidently, C. A, B, C, audible, brief, and confident. And certainly one of those comes directly from Matthew 6, doesn't it? That third one, confidence, and knowing, praying, knowing what our Father wants. The other two perhaps follow a bit more indirectly, If we are confident, then we will probably pray audibly. So the A will come in there. And if we are confident that God knows what we need, we won't be heaping up empty phrases, coming up with many, many words, and we may may well be a bit briefer. Now, uh, that's obviously coming from a particular context of prayer. Uh, Not all ministry happens in a very concentrated week uh, with many young people. And so there's probably more liberty uh, not to be brief, but it's actually to be uh, more extended in most situations. So uh, I'm not going to hold us all to the B, certainly, of ABC. 
one group who weren't particularly brief at all with their prayers, but were very fulsome, were the Puritans. And uh, one of my favorite books here is the, the Value of Vision, a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions. Wonderful tonic for when perhaps our prayer lives are getting a bit um, stale and need a bit of a, a pump up. This is a good volume to have to hand to dip into. They certainly prayed uh, long prayers, as indeed many traditions in the church do still today. Nonetheless, fulsomely, not heaping up empty phrases, but uh, heaping up fulsome phrases. The danger that Jesus warns against is vain repetition, not simply repetition itself. The danger, of course, is that prayers like these become ossified. What starts off as the overflow of the heart turns into stone over time. It requires great skill to avoid vain repetition when doing extempore prayer. Now, some of us are better at doing that than others. I myself know that I'm not great at doing extempore prayer. I always try and script what I'm doing in advance to avoid vain repetition, but to make sure any repetition of prayer I do come up with is heartfelt. Written prayer, of course, doesn't necessarily mean heartless prayer. Nobody would say that these prayers of the Puritans that are written down, because they're written down, become heartless. They were certainly the overflow of full hearts. One uh, local around here from a few hundred years ago who knew the value of heartfelt written prayer, of course, was Charles Simeon, uh, another favourite of mine. And his treatise on the excellence of the liturgy is, again, well worth a read for reminding ourselves of how worthwhile, how wholesome scripted prayer can be. Repetition with the heart is entirely right. And that's the diagnostic tool that perhaps we should take from today's passage when uh, considering our prayer life, both in private and corporately. Is the repetition here, are the phrases here heartfelt, or are they empty phrases that we're coming up with? That's a diagnostic tool that we can apply to songs that we sing. Are our phrases, our choruses that we sing, endless, uh, repetitious, and vain, or are they repetitious and wholesome and heartfelt? Uh, We were talking in a staff meeting earlier this week about something called hesychasmic prayer, which comes from the Eastern Orthodox tradition, which is apparently a practice of continuous prayer, where a monk or a nun will simply just pray continuously in order to be uh, brought into the life of God. And certainly that seems to me as though it would easily veer towards um, unthinking, heartless prayer. But doubtless could well have started off as a tradition which had a great heart and actually wasn't vain at all, but has been ossified. Uh, so let's consider that diagnostic tool. Certainly we see in other religions uh, a great deal of heartless prayer going on. Uh, if you hear the Islamic muezzin or Buddhist uh, chants, Uh, Or if we were to drop in a few thousand years ago to those priests of Baal, perhaps, I'm sure we'd hear lots of heartless uh, rote prayer. Let's never drift towards that. But also, let's never drift towards being tempted to think that that sort of prayer is actually more spiritual than what we do. That simply because of the endless repetition, the numbingness of repetition, that there's some extra spirituality there. God knows what we want. He knows exactly what's on our hearts. And all we have to do is pray simply to him, Father, please. 
I've alluded a lot there to public prayer. What about private prayer? What's the application of this passage for our private prayer lives? I I myself, uh, when I am being conscientious about my prayer life, find it very useful to use prayer calendars. Uh, Simon mentioned in the notices earlier that we've got a December prayer calendar, which replaces some of the weekly prayer notes that we uh, have been producing in the past. And certainly it's my hope that we'll be able to use that sort of prayer calendar in order to pray continuously, persistently, but in a mindful fashion, in a heartfelt fashion for what's going on in our church and our community. Um, I also use other prayer calendars from other organizations like uh, ICS, which is the mission society I occasionally do uh, short-term missions with, uh, church society CARE, Uh, which is a wonderful resource uh, which comes through every quarter to pray for concerns in our wider society. Um, And uh, I'll freely admit those prayer calendars do not get the consistent daily use that they probably should do, uh, except when I am making a really great big effort at it. Uh, But they are always on my shelf, and they're ready to be used, and I do try to make use of them. And I encourage you to do likewise, to pray informed, earnest and persistent prayer, which I think is the sort of prayer that Jesus has in mind for us here. Not vain repetition, but informed, earnest and persistent prayer. It's a great privilege to be up there on the mountain with God, praying to our Father. So let's make use of that and do it in the way in which Jesus tells us to. And let's do that now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know our needs so completely. We thank you that through Jesus we can approach you about anything. And so we simply pray through us, glorify your name and give us our daily bread, both physical and spiritual. Amen.